Do you ever look at the ground beneath your feet? I often do. I've counted my steps since I was a little kid. When you walk as much as I do, you create little games for yourself, counting patterns in the slabs of concrete in the sidewalk. Count to five, cross a crack, back to one. It's not always as simple as that. Where it gets complicated is with bricks, and you lose the whole pattern immediately. All that to say, I tend to walk with my head at my feet when I go anywhere, which is why I began to notice bricks. I live in Sanford. I say it all the time, I love this city, it's embarrassing how often I mention it. Well over a year ago, last summer, summer of 2021, I was out of work, looking for some way to get out of my house. The pandemic kept me in my office, writing all day, reading books, searching for Florida stories in every corner of the archives that I could access from my desk. To break up the patterns, I'd mask up, blast some tunes, and drive to downtown Sanford. I'd get coffee or tea from The Collective. Shout out to Jackie at The Collective. I highly recommend their cold brew. Great place right in the middle of Sanford. I'd get some steps in before returning home, maybe go visit the library. It was quiet during the weekdays, so I'd pop into town, wander around, and then return home satisfied with my personally mandated breath of fresh air. But along my walks, I'd look down, as I always did. It was there, crossing the streets of Sanford, that I began to notice something. The bricks of Sanford had an unusual imprint in them. Printed on nearly every single brick was a name. That name was Augusta. That's Augusta spelled A-U-G-U-S-T-A. Sometimes there would be more words than just Augusta. Sometimes they would say Augusta Block. But most times it just said the single word, Augusta. I was curious. I began to poke around. What does that mean? Was that some company I've never heard of? What is Augusta? I recalled the Sanford Museum that I visited almost two years ago. Brigitte Stevenson, the curator there, showed me around as we discussed the city, and I recall us discussing the bricks around town. How there are brick people, brick fans, brick collectors, people who know all the nitty-gritty of bricks and their histories. But the bricks there at the museum, I actually went to check them after I found the Augusta bricks. I checked earlier this year when I was doing my episode about the Great Freeze of 1895, the first episode of 2022. While I was there, I bugged Brigitte about the bricks, the ones on the shelf. There were some in the first room right there in the museum, but none of them were Augusta. She informed me there may be writing on it by someone who used to work with the museum, but they have passed and that information may be gone. I accepted it. It's a bit of a niche topic, a word on a brick, so I can't imagine that it's that meticulously archived. She sent me a few more quotes, that these bricks came in, they were laid in at the beginning of the 20th century, that they became a part of our foundation, and, and that's all there really is to it. I learned a lot more over the course of this journey that that is true. They bought these bricks, they put them in, and they've been there ever since. As simple as that. So I would always just wonder. I would be in Sanford, I'd look down, I'd see the Augusta, and I'd think... Where did these bricks come from? Are they from Augusta, Georgia? Augusta, if you don't know, is where professional golf has its yearly tournament called the Masters, one of the most iconic golf tournaments in the entire sport. It's at a course called Augusta National. Was it there? Spoiler alert, they are from Augusta, Georgia. I found an article that told me that these bricks are actually in many different places across Florida, not just Sanford. The list is very specific. No specific locations in the city, but we do know that they are in or maybe used to be in these cities in Florida. They are as follows, quote, Clearwater, Gainesville, Jacksonville, Lake City, Orange County, Orlando area, St. Augustine, St. Petersburg, Sanford, Sarasota, and Tampa, end quote. My dream is to see all of them in person and tell you a little bit about how I find them. Ten cities in Florida, four in Georgia, two in North Carolina, and nine in South Carolina. Twenty-five total. By now, you're probably wondering to yourself why you're listening to an episode about bricks. 
Well, I've been wondering a lot myself why I was so curious. It started out as just a question. Most episodes begin that way. I was curious about the bricks and I thought, is this an episode <laughs> or is this just something that I'm puzzling about? Sometimes I get these ideas and there are more idle curiosities than something that I feel like there's a story, but it just kept coming up. Like they just kept appearing in front of me. For example, my father and I stumbled upon them three times in the last year, just a few weeks ago at the hockey game between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Buffalo Sabres that I told you about at the Thunderdome episode a few weeks ago, we were off to get pizza before the game. Somewhere between Amelie Arena and Eddie and Sam's New York Pizza, I looked down and spotted a couple of Augusta blocks. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. They're here in the middle of downtown Tampa, a place that I had walked countless miles of when I was a young theater kid attending the State Thespian Festival. I'd never seen them before. Now, they mattered to me. They were there, under my feet. I couldn't believe it. Another time, on the other side of Tampa Bay, we were walking along the streets of St. Petersburg on February 27th, 2022. We were walking a considerable distance through the streets of downtown St. Pete because we had just watched the 2022 Firestone Grand Prix. In case you didn't know, St. Pete turns its streets into an elaborate IndyCar race through the roads along the water. It is Honestly, incredible and loud and dazzling to see St. Pete become a racetrack. This has been going on for close to 40 years, and this year my father decided we should go. When the race was over, after a few hours, we began to trek back to our cars with the hordes of other people who had parked across the city. I was doing what I always do on the route back, glancing at my feet, counting my steps, and then I noticed a familiar word. On a random side street in the middle of St. Pete, there was an Augusta block, a couple of them. I stopped in the middle of a crowd, bent over, and took a picture. Blown away, I kept moving, but started wondering. These bricks were appearing everywhere and I just couldn't get them out of my head. Maybe there was more, maybe there was a more of a story. Maybe I needed to go to Augusta, Georgia and see what there was to see. So on June 24th of this year, I packed up my car and I drove north into the setting sun toward a town I'd never been to before, the namesake of the bricks that kept appearing in my path, Augusta, Georgia. I found some friends there, and I think they may be the reason that Augusta had been calling me in the first place. They showed me a little slice of their life on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, and I finally found the place where these bricks come from, and I brought some home with me. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, in our final proper episode of this season, the season finale of sorts, we're still a podcast about Florida, but in many ways we're a podcast about Georgia, by a Floridian. I spent a year and a half puzzling over the Augusta blocks in the streets of Sanford, wondering their origin, and now I get to take you on the trip with me. I'll show you a bit of Augusta along the way, a bit of the incredible sights that I found, and introduce you to my companions for the day back in June. So let's take it back a little bit earlier. Let's go to May, when this adventure truly got started. I finally decided to follow through on the story to finally get some answers about what these Augusta blocks were, possibly for an episode to come out this summer. I reached out to the executive director of the Augusta Museum of History. Her name is Nancy J. Glazer. I sent her my whole spiel, Nick D'Alessandro podcast, etc., and she quickly sent me along to a man named Bill Babb. That last name is spelled B-A-A-B. -A -A -B. And let me tell you, you're going to hear the name a lot this episode, Bill Babb. <laughs> it's such a great name to say, and it is a great name for uh, a really great person who you're going to hear a lot about this episode. So get used to hearing the name Bill Babb. 
Bill is a journalist. He wrote for the Augusta Chronicle, and he had actually written about the bricks in the past. Remember the article I mentioned earlier that listed all the cities that the bricks were in? That was actually written by Bill Babb. I sent him a message, and he quickly responded and began organizing when I should arrive and what we should do. I was delighted by the personal details Mr. Babb shared about his life. The postscript of his first email to me included that he and his wife had been married for 56 years and that they were both 87 years old. He would later refer to themselves as, quote-unquote, no spring chickens. He also told me that they hate the heat. Fair enough. He suggested, to my absolute delight, that we go directly to the actual location where the bricks were made, outside of Augusta, Georgia. As the weeks drew closer to my visit, he informed me the facility was actually blocked off. They went to visit it, and it wasn't quite what it was the last time he went to check it out. There used to be kilns that would bake the the bricks to make them into the proper quality that they were supposed to be, but we couldn't see them anymore, and there was no way to really get on property without trespassing, which none of us wanted to do. I asked if we could go anyway, and he agreed. Plus, I wanted to see the city and, of course, meet him. The people you get to meet on this show are the reason that I love doing it. So I decided to make the drive up. My entire drive up was filled with me listening to a New York Yankees game on the radio. The night of my drive, Justin Verlander was on the mound for the Houston Astros in Yankee Stadium. Luis Severino was pitching for the Yankees. We lost 3-1 despite my favorite player, Giancarlo Stanton, hitting a sixth-inning homer to right field. I figured the historical record needed to be complete. That baseball game took the entire drive. <laughs> it was a long game, and I drove as quick as I could into the night, and I got into Augusta just about at midnight. I was disappointed in the game result, the Yankees lost, but I was eager for sleep because Bill suggested that we meet at 9, so I had to get up, get breakfast, and get at them. I was headed to their house the next morning, set to explore wherever these folks would lead me. Bill opened the door to his home, and an alarm immediately started going off, literally. Clearly, some home security issue was happening, and it just was trilling out of the house. Bill is astoundingly tall. I'm just under six feet tall, and he towered over me even at age 87. His wife steps out after him, shorter than him, but both very much more spring chickens than they would lead you to believe. He said they're not spring chickens, but they were ready to go as soon as the door was open. They they figured out their house situation, but I was delighted by them going, oh, nice to meet you. Sorry, we just got to figure out what's going on in the house. It was, it was great. So we introduce ourselves to one another. Bill Bab is the one who I had been speaking to and his wife, B. Her name is B. Bab, which is an incredible name. Over the course of the day, over the next several hours, I would learn a lot more about their personal life, but we'll, we'll talk about that more when we talk about their bottle collection. You're going to love it. Finally, we hop in my car, I crank up the air conditioning, and we head out of Augusta. We drive west for a little while, and I introduce myself and my show and how I got here, and we talk about my drive up, and we talk about Augusta. Augusta was founded in 1736, up in the northern parts of the state of Georgia. The reason it was named Augusta was because King George III, who was the king of England at that time, his mother was named Princess Augusta, and that was why it was named Augusta. So it was Augusta, Georgia. So it was both an honor to his mother and to the king himself. Augusta is a really interesting town. There's a lot of really interesting sections to it. It seems to be very modern. One of the most interesting things in town is that there is this old chimney that was used to develop weapons for the Confederate Army during the American Civil War. I drove by it and it's just like massively tall. It's just crazy how tall it is. But, you know, I've been to Atlanta, I've been to Savannah, and each of these cities have a distinct personality to them. Something about Augusta feels a little more suburban. You're not very far from a lot of suburban 
suburban areas when you're in downtown. But once you drive north out of Augusta, if you cross the uh, river that's to the north, you're actually directly in South Carolina, which I, I did do that. Uh, I crossed over the bridge of the Savannah River and I went into South Carolina and bought a milkshake later that day. So if you want to go to Augusta, you're kind of getting a little bit of Georgia and a little bit of South Carolina. So it's a really wide spread out city that has a lot of relationship with the Savannah River right here. Later in the day after Bill and B had separated from me and I'd gone on to dinner and other things, I wound up at this beautiful little like ravine where there was it was like a public park where there was water coming from some natural source and then was filling up this watering hole and there were kids there, families there, people sitting on the rocks, people in towels, but like you were literally crawling down this raw rock structure to get into this water being from Florida, our natural water locations like that are the beach, obviously, but like springs and rivers and that's sort of a natural flowing water. But this was just sort of like a pool of water coming from some source. You had to climb down these intricate rocks to get down into it. It was strange and also beautiful and so summery. I mean, when I think of the summer of 2022, I will think of this ravine that I just stumbled into and all of the people just having a wonderful time down as the sun took forever to reach the horizon. I mean, it was literally like probably 7 p.m. because that is how late those summer nights go, which is crazy to think of it nowadays in the winter, but it was just a beautiful town. It's a vibrant town. It feels like a young town. I was looking for somewhere to eat and there's all these beautiful, delicious restaurants around. I ate at a restaurant called Noble Jones, which was this absolutely delicious restaurant. I had some pork. It was fan-freaking-tastic. Right next to it was some Augusta blocks, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. I really got to know this city a little bit, but first we needed to go look at the bricks. We passed through some small towns en route to where the bricks were made, almost more neighborhoods than actual cities. There's Fort Gordon, which is actually a U.S. Army facility that deals in cybersecurity, a hugely important installation for the Navy's Army. It was actually built before Pearl Harbor, unlike many of the military installations in Florida that we talked about last week. It is still an active military town, so Augusta has a lot of military personnel in the city. Then we drive through Brasilia and Campania. Camp Campania? I think it's Campania. And then we arrived to our location, which actually was in Campania. We take a slight turn off of Gordon Highway and onto a small road called Old Augusta Highway. We rumble over a railroad and I pull onto an even smaller road that goes into a wooded area. Maps indicate that it's called Old Augusta Highway Southeast. We pull past a column made of bricks and eventually reach a locked gate. If I were alone, I might have gotten a little bit closer, but I didn't want to make Bill and be uncomfortable, so we remained in the car, and I just stared shiny-eyed past the gate. You could see a building, some more in the distance, a large area that was laid out for some type of work. Clearly, this used to be a place where things were made. I'm not quite sure what it is now, but apparently the kilns, the giant beehive kilns that the bricks were made in, they're not there anymore. So there isn't much to see other than the fact that this was the place a long time ago. So I popped my car into park, I fired up my microphone, and I began to talk to Bill about these bricks. Bill had printed out his article. We talk about that more uh, on the microphone. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Bill Babb and his wife, B, who will uh, jump in a few times during our conversation. We are at the location where the Augusta bricks were made over a century ago. Here's Bill. All right, uh, this is Nick. We are at the... Uh, former location of the Augusta. Is it Augusta Block? Yes. The Augusta uh, it, Augusta Block. It was. It was the 
Georgia Vitrified Brick and Cup Clay Company. Pretty good name. Yeah, it's a tongue twister. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I'm dropping the documents. But we are sitting outside of its former location in my car. Uh, it is uh, a very nice day. I'm sitting with uh, Bill. Can you introduce yourself to me and tell me how you started writing, the, how you found the story in the first place? Uh, yeah, I'm Bill Babb. Uh, lived in Augusta since 1940. Born up north. Uh, but I always liked history. And uh, like you, when I saw Augusta Block, I said, what the heck is this? And so I did some uh, research, and uh, we have found out online all about this thing. And so my wife and I came up here when it was still, had just finished making bricks, and they were making furniture and picnic tables and things of that nature, but the kills were still there. It was really fascinating. So I, I walked into the kills. Uh, the owner of the property had a mold with Augusta upside down where they would pour the clay into that mold to make the brick. Wow. And uh, I'm just sorry that uh, this place is closed now. We think the pandemic had something to do with that uh, closing down too because that would have been something that you would like to have a picture of <laughs> uh, but anyway I just uh, I'm, I'm a history buff uh, I worked for the Augusta Chronicle for uh, well I was out in 1964 till 2000 when I retired and then they made me a deal to put out a fishing page which was very popular with the readers and uh, so I just retired as of yesterday as of yesterday that. yes congratulations oh you know, yeah thank you I'm, so I'm uh, you know I don't work anymore. It, it was time. I'm 87 years old, and uh, uh, my wife and I, we have uh, mutual likes, <laughs> uh, shall we say. We've been married 56 years, so uh, uh, it's been a wonderful life. And, uh, so uh, then I was contacted by yourself, and here we are. Okay, let's talk about what Bill just said. That is the first of many diversions in our conversations throughout the day, but this one caught my attention. He worked at the paper for a long, long time and then began writing the fish column, a topic that he loved deeply. Well, there is an article from June 24th, 2022, the day before we were sitting in my car. It was June 25th when we were in the car. The day that I made the drive up was June 24th. The article is in the Augusta Chronicle, and the headline is, quote, Fishing editor Bill Babb calls it quits after 60 years in journalism, end quote. The author of this article is a man named Bill Babb. That's right. Bill wrote his own retirement announcement. In the article, the fishing editor Bill Babb says it has, quote, been a grand ride since starting as a copyboy in 1955, becoming outdoor editor in 1964, and winding up as fishing editor in 2022, end quote. He thanks his colleagues and then adds, quote, Now be my wife of 56 years and I look forward to a new life without the responsibility of coming up with new ideas for the fishing report each week. I am 87 and also want to step down while in good health, end quote. So he retires, and the next day, he's with me. It was a huge honor for me to be with him on that day, especially knowing what he had just done, retiring at 87. To say it is overwhelming is an understatement. I'm glad to have been the first page of this new chapter in his life. 
Bill goes on. He tells me the company that made these bricks was founded in 1902 and that the administrative building was miles away in downtown Augusta. They found the material they needed for the bricks, especially the iconic Georgia clay out here. So the factory was built out at this distance where there was still a footprint to this day, like I mentioned. Back when Augusta was growing, Bill says the roads were dirt and there was no asphalt plant, but there was a brick company, a few of them apparently. This company won the contract to pave downtown Augusta, and so it was. The article that Bill wrote states that Broad Street in Augusta had been covered in asphalt in an attempt to cover it up. Some attempt at covering this street in asphalt, but the asphalt broke up. There were potholes, and it needed to be fixed. Well, enter the Augusta brick. Something like 170,000 bricks were laid down during that particular time. That's a hell of a lot of bricks, and these bricks were literally built different. They tested these bricks against others to make sure that this was the right brick to put down, and the bricks produced out here were the best. They withstood up to 50 tons of pressure. That was because these bricks were vitrified. It's in the company name, the Georgia Vitrified Brick and Clay Company. The vitrified thing wasn't just part of the, the name. It was what they did. Vitrified basically just meant that they cooked the bricks hotter to get moisture out of them, and that made them a little sturdier when they were actually being put to the test. They were the right ones for the resurfacing job, and a check was sent from the city on May 20th, 1905. Over the decades, the city of Augusta was soon covered in these bricks, from the main city to the thoroughfares that led into it. Some areas with bricks would eventually lose their bricks, and others would add more, and eventually it expanded outside of Georgia. Quote, in a 1916 newspaper advertisement, the company touted the long-lasting effects of paving with vitrified bricks and noted that 25 cities in the South had been beneficiaries of such paving. End quote. Cities from all over Florida began to note how many Augusta bricks there were. There were 110 miles of bricks in streets and alleys in St. Petersburg, something like 40 million bricks in St. Pete. There were 730 streets in Tampa with Augusta on them, and it was the bricks themselves that seemed to matter. Not just the quality, but something about a little bit of pride that they had this unusual print to them. There's all these articles that are saying how much people enjoyed their bricks that said Augusta. That made them special, which is amazing to me because that's the exact thing that drew me to looking into them in the first place. According to Bill, their expanse was because the bricks were good and because they had good advertising. It's also around here that Bill changes the subject a little bit. This happened a lot throughout our trip. We'd be talking about something and Bill would be reminded of something else and it would lead to him bringing up another discussion of one of his passions. For example, I played you a clip from him mentioning how many bricks were laid down. Well, there was more to that clip. Here's what he said truly the next second. Something like 170,000 bricks were laid down during that particular time. I could take you now to an area of Augusta up near the old VA hospital where they paved with the Augusta block bricks. Okay. They would turn them upside down where the Augusta would be on the bottom on a sand base. And the lettering, the raised lettering, would hold the bricks in place. Wow. So uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, the Augusta Museum of History has a few bricks, not, not, not very much. But anyway, it's just a fascinating subject. I also collect stamps, coins. I collected insects like butterflies and moths, nice. beetles, and, uh, every, and everything <laughs> under the sun. Uh, I collected uh, southern pottery for a while. We had that was B chiming in there, mentioning snakes. I think I think she's implying that Bill collected snakes. I, I'm mad at myself that I didn't check. <laughs> the fact that there was no follow up question is insane. Apparently, he collected snakes. I'm starting to wind down my collections now. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, because who knows how long I've got on this earth, only the good Lord would know. So I'm downsizing uh, my libraries and everything else. I have, I have, book, I, have uh, I collected uh, mysteries, the, the gold nice. age of mystery books. Nice. <laughs> Agatha Christie type, you know, all that sort of thing. So anyway, I've been a collector all my life. And I've collected everything except money. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I do have some Confederate notes mm-hmm. and things like that in my coin collect, coin yeah. and, and bill collections. Wow! So I'll shut up now. Uh, no, no, please. I, I, the I specifically requested that he not shut up, and Bill always had more to say, and so did B. I asked Bill if he's seen the Augusta bricks that are in Florida. Well, uh, we, uh, we, we've been to Tampa and St. Pete, and. Uh, because my parents lived out in uh, Plymouth and Apopka mm-hmm. area for back in the 60s and 70s and early 80s. They uh, they passed away. Uh, so uh, w- went down there on vacation. And uh, we tried to go to different parts of Florida just to see yeah. what was there. Uh, and so we, that's why we wound up in Tampa. We went to a restaurant there and had a really good Cuban sandwich. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and, uh, La, probably La Segunda. That's that's yeah, probably that's, over in Ybor. Yeah, yeah, Ybor City, right? Yeah, yeah. those bricks are everywhere. Yeah, all those cigars. The reason I wanted to come here is, you know, this 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 company here that we're sitting in front of is even if we can't go inside, it still means a lot to me that we're at a place that has been literally the foundation of these towns. That's right. For for pretty much the entire 20th century, they were the ground that our residents walked in through some of the most formative years of our country, and and now they're just still there after all these years. That's right. It's incredible the the way they have lasted, and uh, it's just uh, really astounding that those bricks have lasted so long. Uh, most streets that you see anywhere, uh, they are resurfaced mm-hmm. about every five or ten years. Uh, because they are, have uh, sort of less collapsed yeah, or, yeah. or or developed potholes, uh, we've got some s- streets in Augusta that that uh, you have to be careful. <laughs> sure, sure. But the fact I, I imagine that the people who the masons who helped build these bricks over a century ago would be pretty proud and that they could say that these bricks are still there. They could have put that in their marketing if only they had known. Oh, yeah, they certainly could. <laughs> they could brag about it. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. These bricks are something to be proud of, and they always have been. Hours later in the day, long after Bill and B were back at their home, I had just eaten a great dinner at Noble Jones. It was a wonderful time, and I had found myself wandering along the street next to it, 8th Street, Beneath my feet for hundreds of yards along a blocked off road, there was hundreds, if not thousands, of Augusta blocks. There was people eating at a different restaurant nearby, and I'm sure they were wondering why there was just a guy stumbling around with a microphone marveling at the bricks that he was seeing. I was in Augusta, staring at Augusta blocks, feeling a bit overwhelmed. These bricks were made up the street in a now-destroyed kiln over a century ago. The same bricks that lined the streets here were made by the same company that then sent those bricks to my state and lined nearly a dozen of our city's streets. Sanford, my town, has changed so much in the last century, and under the feet of the people who walked those streets was the Augusta block brick made in this town, which I think is why I came here. History isn't always the big thing. 
It isn't always the important buildings or the important books or documents or people or battles or dates in history. History sometimes is literally the thing beneath your feet, the thing you aren't looking for, the foundation of a story rather than the story itself. So I spent over a year looking for these bricks and I found them at last and somehow back here where the bricks were made, I was connecting to two dozen cities across the southern United States and connecting them with my own town. It felt like there was a club and all of us were a member, but only if you knew what you were looking for. I knew that I was looking at these bricks and that they were connected to the ones all the way back home. And it felt like I had seen through something. It felt like I'd been given some secret access and I just couldn't I was overwhelmed. It was so, it seems so silly to be like, hey, whoa, this brick says a thing that it also says in my town, but it feels like I'm in a secret society. And that secret society is knowing about these bricks. They're not flashy. They're not the star of the show, but I wouldn't be here telling you this story if I hadn't stumbled upon them in the first place. And more importantly, I wouldn't be in Augusta with my new friends, Bill and B. Bab, because I came looking for these bricks, but I stumbled upon some kindred spirits in the process. Over the course of the day, I realized Bill, B, and myself have a lot in common, despite the 60 years of age between us. You see, after we finished up at the Brick Company, we headed back into town. Bill and B specifically had one location in mind for me to experience, the Augusta Museum of History. It's a stunning, spacious museum in downtown Augusta that is filled with fascinating artifacts, as well as massive vehicles from Augusta's history, including boats and trains and cars. It was astounding. It was busy on that Saturday, kids prancing through the large exhibits, pointing at items behind glass. The three of us take our time discussing American history through the lens of Augusta as we go, and I learn a lot about the city in the process. It's a unique town that experienced a lot of American history. Its place in the Civil War is, is very serious, and a lot of really interesting people have left their marks on this town. You know who James Brown is? James Brown, one of the greatest performers of all time? Yeah, he's from Augusta, and there was an amazing exhibit all about him. We wandered the halls, sharing stories and interests. I learned a lot about Bill and B over the course of our conversation. They talk about the places they visited, the work they'd done, the people they'd met, the things that they brought home, the, the home that they had created for themselves, the, the life that they had lived. Bill said it when we were talking at the Brick Company. They've had a wonderful life. And in their communication and the stories that they share, that is very, very apparent. After hours and hours, we wind up in a back hallway, arriving to a large glass case. The case was filled to the brim with bottles, colorful bottles with unusual shapes arranged into sort of a crowd like an army just so many of these old glass bottles some really stood out they were bright deep blue some were green and were strangely shaped there were larger vases some jugs just all sorts of these containers and next to it there was a plaque that said babs bottles he mentioned it earlier but bill collected these bottles all of them when we returned to their home that day, Bill showed me more of his collection. Mugs, books, photographs, but mostly bottles. Bottles with unusual shapes, unusual histories, unusual origins, or labels, or weird things that they sold. Their home is still filled with more things that they collected. That is their passion. In 2011, Bill was inducted into the Hall of Fame of the Federation of Historical Bottle Collectors. He also received two President's Awards from them. Have you ever heard of the Federation of Historical Bottle Collectors? Neither had I until I met Bill, and then all of a sudden I was standing in the midst of bottle collector royalty. I mean, these people had a huge impact on that community, and that cannot be overstated. 
He and B published a book. B, quote, did the printing, collating, and binding herself, end quote. Bottle collecting had become their lives. And on that plaque, there is a picture of them with their dog. 56 years of marriage, 87 years old now, both of them. In that piece, it says they were never blessed by children, but that they had several dogs throughout their relationship. And in that picture are B and Bill and one of their dogs smiling at me as I'm also standing next to them, smiling at their truly impressive bottle collection. Bill mentioned, however, that the bottles had started to take over. He'd been collecting them all his life, and so it was time to donate them. In 2014, quote, the Babs decided to donate their 531 bottle collection, along with a few local merchants' jugs, end quote. On top of that, they donated, quote, more than 3,500 other Augusta-related artifacts, end quote. And then there we were, standing in front of a display dedicated to them. I had to stop to recognize the tone in their voices as they spoke about these bottles. It was a lot of pride. They, they had spent their entire lives doing this. They were journalists and workers and maintaining a home and being part of their community, but this collecting had been a part of them and now it was on display. They were a part of the history in this museum. Not only was it the things that they had collected, but their place in collecting them was part of the story. Their lives, from my perspective, were filled with many things. Making friends, traveling, exploring, and writing about history, but clearly their collections mattered to them, and now they get to have those collections in this museum forever. While many of them still line the shelves of their study at home, their collection is protected and preserved forever, and they get to be part of that history. Something that I'm sure nobody ever dreams of when they start writing about history, as they did so long ago. Next to that preservation is them. They're part of the story. It's hard to ignore why. They care. Through the course of hours together, which included lunch at the end of the day, they were just a wealth of knowledge. I'm a talker, you guys know that. But for an entire day in June, I just listened. Because these people had something to say. It seemed like these were two folks who had nothing but excitement for the things they had done, and their memories were sharp as hell. They remembered names, locations, dates, years, years from their lives, years from history, everything off the top of their head. And they'd run from thought to thought, story to story, and I just sat there with a smile on my face all day. I won't deny it. I saw myself in them. I too am a collector, though I collect VHS tapes and seashells and old books and baseball hats and enamel pins. I collect maybe less historically significant things than these people, but I saw the same thing in them as I see in myself. We are magpies. We collect little things. We're little birds who can't help but grab the things that we cherish and hold them close to us. If you ask us about these things, we will not shut up. We care. We care about the little things. We care about the bottles and who made them and the books and who wrote them. And most importantly, we care about the bricks. If I didn't care about the origin of the name on those bricks, I would never have found these people and I would never have wound up here. Who cares if it isn't the most interesting story in the world? There were some bricks, they needed to be in the cities, and now here they are. It's a brick. How interesting can it be? What matters is the foundation and the people that you meet on the journey. And like I said, I'm a collector. Which is why before we left where the bricks were made, long before the museum and our lunch, I went inside the old store on property. Right there where the bricks were made, there were the ruins of a company store made of brick. Roof collapsed, covered in foliage, there was this old store for the Georgia Vitrified Brick and Clay Company. 
I wandered inside and I grabbed a few brick fragments and I marveled at where I was. And I'm standing in the middle of the company store where they sold Augusta Block a century ago. The bricks are all over. They don't even say Augusta Block, but you know that they are because they made them here, obviously. But this is completely surreal to me. There are some beautiful trees growing in here. Some old pipes. Clearly this used to have something in it. Like not just the camp store, but something else. Maybe another structure, but there is no roof. Long gone, filled with trees. It's just this beautiful brick rectangle with some uh, beer cans. <laughs> The bricks, I mean, the bricks are in great condition. You could probably take some of these bricks down and use them to build something else because they are still standing. I mean, the walls of this building are still up a century on. I can't believe I found it. Nobody would know that the streets of these major cities came from this decrepit old brick building on the side of the road. Nobody would have any idea. There's cars driving by, you can probably hear them. They just think that this is a regular old structure. They probably have no idea that these, that this store had an influence, has a place in Florida right now, under our footprints, visibly saying Augusta. It's just incredible. I'm gonna take some pictures. I took the pieces home, the shards of a brick, touching it right now. It's in my hand as I talk to you about these bricks, a part of Augusta Blocks that will always be near me. It doesn't matter how insignificant these bricks are in the grand scheme of things, and that's the great thing about collecting. I wouldn't grab the bottles that Bill grabbed. They aren't my story. But everything matters to somebody, and these bricks matter to me. I'm just grateful that I found them, because not only do I get to have a piece of them in my home every day, and remember all of these cities across the South that are connected by one company that is long gone, but also because the Augusta Block brought me to my new friends, Bill and B. Bab. I'm proud to be at least a small part of their history. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here. I've been wanting to tell you this story for a long time, and I have a feeling this is just the first chapter of all the things I'm going to learn about the Augusta Blocks, but I had such a great trip. Thank you to Bill and B. Bab for their day, and thank you to Nancy J. Glazer at the Augusta Museum of History for getting me in touch with them. I'm so grateful to get to tell their story. I'll include a link to the article so you can read more, and so you can read more of Bill's work. It's still a lot of it up there on the Augusta Chronicle, and he is a marvelous writer with a lot of passion and affection for the things he writes about. Thank you, Bill, and thank you, B. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It means a lot to me to know what you like about this show, and you can help improve this show and give me ideas for what you would like to see discussed on Wait 5 Minutes. You can also reach me on Instagram at WFMPod or on Facebook at WFMPod, and you can also send me an email at WFMPod at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and I hope that you are having a very happy December. 
I will be back next week with one last episode, a send-off to this year, a little holiday treat. Normally, I get to have some guests on this episode, but I've been so busy with so many projects that you're going to be seeing next year that I just haven't been able to reach out to anybody. But I took a trip to St. Augustine that I want to tell you about and have a little more holiday cheer with you before we end out this year properly. So thank you very much for listening to this episode, and I will see you next week for the Wait 5 Minutes 2022 third annual holiday special. Until then, be good to yourself, be good to others, drink more water, and happy holidays. Have a very wonderful week. 